Greetings. I am Queen of the Stars, coming to you from the liminal space where time isn't linear and multidimensional frequencies are alive and present, emanating from me to inspire truth, authenticity, balance, liberation, and cosmic alignment. True to my name, I travel the stars and cosmos far and wide through my emotional technology and have created this podcast to prophecy, in other words, to declare or foretell through divine inspiration. This podcast is going to involve time travel, jumping past, future, and parallel timelines to share wisdom and inspired journeys from resonant souls and high vibrational beings. Queen Prophecies is a conscious act in service of all on their unique paths to assist in the upgrades and activations at this precise moment on Earth. Sit back and enjoy the frequencies. beautiful beautiful beings we are back with another heartfelt conversation with one of my guests from season one beautiful sister beautiful 
beautiful, beautiful heart, soul, Callista Go. And I'm really, really honored to have her again because her wisdom is actually timeless. And the work that she's doing right now is really, really needed and really, really expansive and is helping both myself and, you know, a lot of people really transcend these limiting beliefs, these limiting storylines and timelines, you know, her work with the Akashic Records and all this other work that we're actually going to get into today because she didn't share these other aspects of her beautiful work, but we're going to get into it today. So I'd love for her to reintroduce herself if you're not familiar with her and flow into this conversation. Hi, Ariana. Thanks for having me back on your podcast. It's really lovely to be here again. Um, and hello to all your listeners. Uh, my name is Calista, and I have been working um, pretty exclusively with the Akashic Records and the other realms <laughs> for about nine, 10 years now. And I've been teaching around the world for about seven, eight years. Um, so yeah, I do consultations, readings, healing journeys, um, as well as trainings for both practitioners as well as teachers in the Akashic Records. Um, so yeah, thanks so much for having me here. Um, I'm looking forward to see what we discovered today. <laughs> yes. So in our previous episode, we did an entire dedicated episode and conversation to the Akashic Records, the Akakash. So we're going to actually go down a different thread today. And I would love to talk about inner work. And I would love to talk about transcending um, the ego, you know, transcending uh, inauthenticity and a lot of these things that end up coming up on the path when we're starting this spiraling spiritual journey, you know, we start to face demons and they're not outside demons. They're 1000 million percent inside demons. There are inner voices there are inner um you know reflections and aspects of us so do you want to go off of this thread and yeah okay i think that's a really uh wonderful topic to to discuss uh, as a lot of us know when we start on this path of remembrance because you know we are never off it but when we start remembering and reawakening to our true selves we encounter the dark night of the soul <laughs> where everything around us breaks down. And then we go through this really deep journey of self-awareness, right? Of seeing ourselves over and over again in the external universe and events that keep playing out or people or, event, uh, or relationship dynamics. And then we start encountering ourselves and the memory of who we are, what we've actually put aside. So I think this is a really wonderful topic, especially during this time and age. You know, what with the COVID lockdown and everything, we've had to all do a lot of shadow work globally, right? And shadow work as a term has also become quite in vogue these days. Um, and there's a lot of people, or at least from what I've heard, you know, speaking from my personal lens here, a lot of focus on healing and, um, and transcendence and what that actually means, right? So I think you picked a really beautiful and relevant topic, um, and at least for me, speaking personally, 
I, I find in my journey that we are actually all inherently perfect. And when we start focusing on our demons or our inner demons, for example, the healing that actually needs to be done I, these days, I call it integration because they're all aspects of ourselves, right? And we live in a world of polarity and duality. So for every love, there may be not love. <laughs> for every joy, there may be not joy. And we, as a species, may be more focused these days on the not positive bits. So for me, in my, in my personal experience, um, I work a lot with Tibetan tantric meditations. One of the ones uh, that I work with is called Feeding Your Demons. And the way that Machik Lebron, which is a, a female sage, an uh, Indian female sage from centuries back, she actually said that the best way through this is actually to love our demons and to not expel them or exile them. And you might see the same commonality in new modern uh, firms of therapy, for example, internal family systems, where the whole concept of healing is actually the integration of inner parts. And these parts are quite demonic because they're the inner critic. They're the ones who find fault with yourself, you know, oh, look at you doing this again. Oh, look at me. I'm doing this again. Oh, how could you? You should be ashamed of yourself. And at the same time, they're also the same demonic voices, for lack of a better term, to criticize the external universe. You're like, oh, you know, that person and then the judgments and the projections and all of that comes through. So yeah, um, at least in the way that the feeding your demons practice happens is quite similar to internal family systems and just thought therapy. You sit your demon lovingly opposite you, and then you communicate with it. What do you want from me? What do you need from me? And how would you feel if you actually that for me? <laughs> I apologize for my dog. And that and that's the demon <laughs> responding. <laughs> what do you need from me? Uh, Gotta always love the brevity and levity of animals. Um, anyway, so yeah, so keeping it back and real here, um, you know, there are certain times where these these things spark at us, and we can't seem to keep it quiet. And instead of constantly mindfully trying to will them away through forceful meditation, for example, or trying to I don't know correct our thoughts, it might actually be good to give a pause, feel into the body, and be like all right, what is it that I'm really experiencing now? Which parts of me desire my attention? And what do these parts of me say? And I think a lot of uh, where we're coming together is collective. And I'm not sure if Ariana, your, your journey has been the same, but there's a mind, body, spirit, emotion connection. So these days there's a lot of focus of being in your body, you know, really listening to this body part. And when you start working on that body part, there's a voice almost that comes through or a memory or an emotion that suddenly wakes up, right? And then a lot of people feel like they're tossed into the, to, into the cycle of pain again because, whoa, I thought this was over. Now what happened, right? And it's in your body. So as we come into more unity uh, consciousness and a state of a unified whole outside in the external universe, then so we are actually doing that within, right? So I think the transcending bit these days could be done through maybe integration. <laughs> and I, I think that this is a really valuable topic. Um, as we start realizing maybe inherently we're all divine, we're inherently all perfect, we're inherently all good, and there's only a, a state of remembering who we actually are. 
And maybe a part of that is going through the muck and hearing all of our internal voices, seeing the parts that we have exiled ourselves, uh, seeing the parts that maybe inadvertently, whether it's through family dynamics or karma, you know, um, that was exiled out of circumstantial stuff, um, that now we actually can start pulling these pieces back. Yeah, I think it's a really wonderful topic to talk about, especially in terms of transcendence these days. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That's my take. Sorry for the long. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but yeah. So it's interesting because the piece about we are all perfect already. And so we are just integrating. It's resonant, but having worked with quite a bit of plant medicine in the past year and a half is interesting that it's kind of a different approach. It's not that it's not that we're not at all times integrating something, but when we choose to have these really strong and intentional experiences, whether it's a dark night of the soul, whether it's a medicine journey, um, whether it's a, a confrontation facing our demons, you know, in a dark room, a silent meditation, a vipassana, you know, that's really big in in these spiritual communities right now. The, these things are are really, really powerful experiences that then come with their own timeline of integration. This almost like compounding the integration that we're always already going through so I guess I just want to say like there for me there are always these markers these times these periods or cycles where things get more intense things get more real like you're talking about feeling things in your body you're talking about these triggers and you know you get a memory you get a past past life memory you get memories from this lifetime childhood memories we're going to go down this thread about inner child work pretty soon as well and I really I really want to honor that I just want people to understand that there are levels I really I really think people who are starting the spiritual path or who have been on it for a long time will still be met with a moment in time where they're like wow, this is even that much more intense than last year, or this experience just blew me into another stratosphere, or now I'm, you know, quantumly jumping. So, wow, look at all of these things that are happening now. The intensity goes up, the volume goes up sometimes in this journey. And, and the reason I'm saying this is because for those people that are very sensitive, it might be really difficult. It yeah, I really, that. really difficult. I hear you. I actually am so curious, you know, now that um, we're talking about this, how how's your timing when it comes to like these moments of intensity? I think we've all experienced it at some point where it's like, whoa, just how like the most intense time and it's just a vortex, right? Like, so is there is there a pattern to yours or like, how does it work for you? Oh, man. Uh it's cyclical. Um, it's quite unconscious in the sense that, or subconscious or unconscious. <laughs> I'm trying to think, which is it? Like sometimes <laughs> it's not my decision as Ariana to be like, now I'm going to go through the next, you know, dark tunnel 
or the next uh, rabbit hole, you know, spiraling mm. into myself and, and my processes and facing these demons. Like sometimes it's just the right time. And my higher self takes the wheel, takes control and is like, now we're doing this. And I just have to be in surrender and I have to accept it. And it's not always, um, it's not always in the timing that I would choose as Ariana. As a human, it's like, wait a minute, like two weeks ago, we just had another one of these. Or two <laughs> months ago, I had a really intense experience. Like, can we just hold off another six months? But sometimes it's not up to me. Because no, I totally yeah. our oversoul, I think, and our guides and our ancestors, like these are, this is how I will paint it. These are beings and frequencies and energies that are outside of time. They have mm. transcended time. And so therefore they understand divine time, perfect time, better than you or I ever could as humans in a human body. So when they say it's go time, it's go time. Does that make yeah. sense? No, I totally, I'm with you on that. And actually made me start thinking about, you know, um, why there's been so much talk about how we're just inherently perfect, right? Because like you say, there's an oversoul and there's a part of us with our guys and, you know, and all of those divine aspects and they are in divine timing. And yes, our human selves sometimes feel like we're not really in the, the driver's seat for when these moments happen. And they sometimes happen in the most like inconvenient times, right? At least for me, it, it has had that trend. Um, but when it actually does happen, it does feel like, oh, I, I recognize the divine timing of this. But then there's a divine aspect of me that is operating in divine timing going like, hey, like there's a human time spectrum that I know you're going to hit, but I'm going to come down here first because I need you to remember me, right? So there's almost like our, our perfect oversoul that's asking for integration and in the human is asking for manifestation, right? And maybe this whole thing about um, inner work or shadow work, or all these peeling away of your layers, it's really allowing more of that to come through so that the human time and the divine time meets at a point, you know, like maybe there's a specific, I don't know, deja vu moment, for example, and maybe that's Urgence. what we do yeah convergence yes yeah that's such a great word <laughs> convergence and then that's where like all of these threads of fate or destiny or purpose um or you know whatever it is that we talk about astrologically speaking for example there's like complete convergence of all these points in time and space and then boom that is the moment that had to happen for example um, and I guess the free will aspect of this, <laughs> for, for those, those of us that may not be so comfortable with being dusty, just thinking out loud here, it could just be how we choose to experience these fluctuations or these remembrances, right? Like maybe there's so many ways of creativity, maybe the guidance is experience and express yourself creatively. So we need to just let something out, you know, maybe it's an authentic, maybe it's a painting, maybe it's dance, you know, maybe it's medicine work and you're throwing up in a bucket, but maybe there's some form of a purge that has to happen. And so maybe that's a free will bit, like how you get there, your choice, the adventure and the paints that you want to choose your choice. But at some point there is a divine convergence, right? And maybe that's the whole thing. Maybe we're constantly transcending, you know, 
maybe we're causing transcending. Every single one of these conversion points is a is an opportunity for like, oh yeah, that's right, we got here, and that's why. You know, and all of a sudden everything clicks into place and we're forever changed. I don't know. Maybe it's something like that. <laughs> I love, yeah, I love that th- that you mentioned the deja vus because actually this past week I had like three deja vus in one day when, you know, I ha- maybe haven't had them in a few months and I had them just one after the other after the other and I'm like I took note I took special note and I you know I got excited I'm like oh I'm doing something right you know like this this feels good this feels and the most mundane things you know some people would be like that's not exciting you had a deja vu while drinking like your cup of coffee or something I'm like no but she was standing at the refrigerator and he looked at her and then they looked at me and it was it was a thing you know but <laughs> was really, really important for me. Somehow viscerally in my body, I just, I do get that, that jolt of remembrance of like, okay, everything's exactly as it's supposed to be. Yeah. So like, what's deja vu for you? Because it sounds like deja vus are almost like, like bookmarks, right? To say like, this is the, this is where I've turned down a, a little note on my page to say, I'm going to remember when this happens so that I know I'm, I reached here. I don't know. What's deja vu for you? Cause I've heard so many kinds of concepts for this and it's really interesting. <laughs> it's just a knowing it's like claircognizance. It's a knowing it's, it's usually very mundane. Sometimes it's just a word Sometimes it's like a, something that somebody does, like a laugh and where they're standing. And I, I usually remember it both um, audibly and visibly. So it has, it's almost like a scene in a movie and it could literally just be one frame, like one second. That's a deja vu to me usually. Wow. And are there like patterns of synchronicity? Like they, they tend to happen when... I don't know. Like for me, deja vus, um, for me, weirdly enough, like I dream of them first. And then years later, I'm like, wait, I've done this before. Where have I done this before? Oh, no, wait, I dreamt of it before. Wait, was that a dream? And then I go into this weird thing where, did I dream it? Did it happen? (laughs) And then I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Um, The piece that I wanted to bring in about like the dream deja vu, which is the one you described, where you're doing something and then you remember I've done this before and it's a bit longer. Usually it's like a whole sequence of things happening. And then you said, wait, did I dream this? Like, wait, it's happening exactly as I feel I've already experienced it. And the piece I want to bring in is actually about my ayahuasca journey last year, because when I was in the ceremony, I think it was the first time I had ever experienced ayahuasca in this life. There came a point where I had recall of dreams in the ceremony that I've had since I was a child. Like basically they just played like one after the other, after the other, these sequences of different dreams to the T, like as if I was watching a movie of my own dreams. And I remember feeling like, whoa, like this is really this is really freaky and cool at the same time. Like I'm remembering dreams and reliving them or rewatching them or re-experiencing them 
even though, you know, I'm a 33-year-old woman, 32-year-old woman, but this dream was when I was six or this dream was when I was 15. And I remember that there was, you know, um, there was a power in that. It felt very empowering. And it also felt very transcendent of time because mm. I was like, okay, so there's a bank somewhere in my consciousness of all of these things, these times, these experiences, whether or not I fully understood why I'm seeing them again, it doesn't matter. In the moment, it felt empowering and it felt like a remembrance. Yeah, I I actually have so much like goosebumps just hearing you talk like that because I can't remember if in the first um, episode we ever did together that when we were speaking about the Akakash or the Akashic Records, that you are the Akashic Records, right? Like your body is a living physical manifestation and record of your experience. Yes. And we think that we are the sum total of all of our past lives, um, you know, and we're just quantum time experiencing the single point in this body. And, you know, like we were talking about just now, all the body work and all of the stuff that comes out when you tweak your tailbone, for example, and all these memories. And it's kind of similar to what you just said. Maybe our bodies do remember all of our dream states, all of all these um, multidimensional states that we are constantly experiencing. But when we're living in this linear time frame, as maybe as you as Ariana, as me as Callista in 2021 right now, that we can only experience one lens, right? But our bodies and all the spaces between, which is Akakash or the Akashic, that's really all space. And, and so the constant transcendence would just be a constant recollection of those moments of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I am experiencing this again. Oh wow, I can't believe like my six-year-old saw this again. Or like, I can't believe like all of these experiences and DMT is a molecule in the, inside of us, you know, as well as it is in the plant. Like we are constantly mirroring and co-collaborating the fabric of memory of us. <laughs> And, and so our fabric maybe, of reality as well. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The fabric of reality. Um, and so it really, yeah, it really makes a lot of um, beautiful sense because I do also feel that when I've had medicine journeys, for example, there's a sense of going back in utero, right? Yes. Where we, my body is not even fully formed yet. I'm, I'm in formation. <laughs> And so how is it that I can remember what it's like to be my mom's womb when I'm like four months old or five months old, you know? So it's, um, it's a really interesting concept to play with this idea of deja vu and maybe memories are constantly deja vus. You know, we think we remember something, but unless we have a camera videoing everything, there's no real factual certainty to say that that was exactly how it happened. Right. So I don't know. It's, it's a really interesting concept, this, this thing about deja vus and time and space also. So yeah. to go off of that, I actually would like to introduce uh, something that's been coming more and more alive for me, maybe in the past two years as well, um, probably since working a lot with plant medicine because of its transcendent nature, because it's not... There aren't limitations to these consciousness of these plants. Like basically anything is possible. I feel this is how I've experienced them. This is how they've revealed themselves to me. A lot of people will, 
we'll talk about how, yeah, just how magical they are. And, and that, yes, we still experience them through our human bodies, our human uh, lens, where we're here having a human experience. But I guess what I want to say about memory and time related to this work I've been doing with plant medicine is that I've realized that you can uh, rewrite your, your past. You can rewrite and reprogram your memories based on where you are now. So if you've grown, if you've changed, if you've done shadow work, inner work, dark night of the soul work, medicine journeys, you know, and you are changing and transcending and evolving as a being, as a multidimensional being, you actually start changing the past. And therefore, you also can change the future. So this is where like linear time starts to become really just, uh, yeah, just it's, it's not black and white anymore. It's really expansive. And I, I was, I was just so intrigued by what you're saying because um, I remember this work by Sharon King. Um, she, she's the author of this book, um, Heal Your Birth, Heal, Heal, Heal Your Life. And she works very much on EFT tapping techniques, right? And she actually says that she works a lot with mothers and a lot with children to re-imprint the echo of their own physical body as well as the memory piece. So through using EFT techniques, yeah, she actually works in quantum in that sense and actually allows a complete reprogramming of the memory. So for example, if I think one of her stories is... Um, if you were, uh, if you had anxiety being separated from your mom because of a cesarean, uh, you know, birth, for example, you can re-imprint that echo by going back, reimagining the whole thing, seeing yourself actually being helped by your mother, you know, and actually sewing and weaving that texture in to see like who in the world right now in your current universe actually can hold you. So then the body, the mind, and the spirit completely rewrites the whole thing. And she says that miraculous connections, like almost synchronistic universal connections, maybe while the child is doing this with herself and healing this, all of a sudden the mother is finally calling to say, you know, um, back then because of this, I'm so sorry, I was not close to you and things like that. And a lot of healing um, can actually come through. So I'm, I'm with you 100% on the power of changing the past. I think that's something that, um, yeah, I really hope more people actually start embracing. You're not in a way beholden to what has happened before, right? A lot of self-compassion also does come through with like, yeah, that happened. It was bad. Actually for me, what would make my body because the self-compassion is what would make my body and me feel good right now. Mm-hmm. And sure. We can't read, we can't change factually what happened but we can reprogram the entire state of ourselves in the present. And I feel that, you know, um, acceptance doesn't necessarily mean, well, that has happened. It can't change. I just need to move on. It's okay. That happened. There was um, a gap, a vacuum of needs that I haven't met. How do I want to fill it now? And maybe this is how, right. And so how Sharon King talks about it and what really gave me a lot of inspiration, my personal work is, is really like, who in your current life or how, what in your current life can that should give you that contact so that all layers of yourself are woven into a, a thread and a singularity, right? 
And then that forever changes the dynamic and the matrix. And I think it's so powerful, almost like if, if people knew this <laughs> themselves, yeah, you know, so much of their lives can change. Um, and at least what's inspiring me to talk about it right now is, uh, you know, yeah, sure, you can't go back and change your college school grades, right? But you're not, let's just say, stuck to the belief pattern that because maybe your college grades are like that, you can't move forward in life. And there are all these other belief patterns that may have come from that. But if you go back and change and say like, well, actually, the grades were not the issue. What I was really upset about was the fact that I didn't, I self-sabotage and I didn't give myself the chance to actually be the fullness of my potential. So go back and re-imprint the preparation process or, you know, certain things that happen around then, you might feel more empowered in your now because you're like, actually, you know what? I can do that. <laughs> you know, I can do that. And the small steps forward to be like, you know, I'm going to go make my coffee right now. Like you say, the mundane things. And maybe that's where the deja vu happens. You know, it's like you drop into your body, you drop into your state of self. You're like, wait a minute. I feel like I got here before. And maybe your past self was re-envisioning the same point. And so then there's this cyclical thing that happens. Um, yeah, super cool. I mean, uh, for me, when I when I experienced that in my personal life, um, those are really good key markers. Like I tend to feel so in awe of how this universe works that I, I break down and I, I cry in gratitude <laughs> to be like, I can't make this happen. I can't make this up. You know, there's almost no one that may believe me, but my gosh, I feel seen. And maybe that's, that's the whole point. Um, yeah. Yeah. And in that state, I feel forever changed. I'm not sure if you, you've had the same experience, but I feel forever changed. It's like in that moment, something came back or something reawoken inside of me. And the way the decisions that follow on from that point or the relationships that follow on from that point, everything just, it's like a veil just lifted and everything's different now, you know? Um, and I think that's where I feel like I've upgraded <laughs> Yes, yes. I want to go backwards and also forwards with that because sure. that's like that's what feels good. So going mm -hmm. forwards, has future Callista ever come and spoken to you? Whether it be yeah. through vision, whether it be through shamanic drumming, whether it be through dream state at night when you go to sleep, like have you had a conversation with your future self? Like a a marking one or yeah i'll have to say um in full disclosure callista as 2021 or callista go in this lifetime future callista in this time arc has not i have been visited however by my next incarnation <laughs> yes <laughs> so weird it's so weird it's so clear. I I constantly morph myself because I love archaeology in this lifetime. Indiana Jones is like my childhood inspiration, right? So, um, and uh, it's really weird. Sometimes when I'm in deep meditation, and it keeps occurring. So it's it's one of those things where it's not just a daydream because I typically do not cannot daydream of this, but it's so real. I am South African, blonde, green eyes, and I'm digging in the sand in Egypt. And I'm looking for this thing called the Halls of Records. <laughs> um, I even know the timestamp. Like, I even know, like, how many years in the future. And um, I also know when Callista Go in this lifetime could die. So there are choices for me. Um, so it's really looking and peering into that. And also seeing, like, 
how there are, there are people around me. I'm somehow not exactly like the lead lead archaeologist, but I have the most intuitive, you know, it's really weird. Um, so yeah, when that happened, I remember that the first time it happened to me, I was like, wow, that's really cool. Um, and it really gave me the sense of like, okay, seems like I'm going on another journey. So I get to experience this lifetime, maybe fully. Mm. And it gave a lot more meaning to all of my shadow work and pain and suffering. <laughs> maybe we'll go into that at some point, but yeah, a lot of suffering in this lifetime. And the next lifetime is like, oh, that's why, you know, to really find myself and be quiet and actually be still. But then as these images kept repeating, I finally sat there and I leaned back and I asked my guides and I asked the, the Akashic record keepers. I'm like, you keep showing me this. <laughs> um, what is it that I'm supposed to understand about this? You know, um, And I remember at that time I was thinking about free will and fate and destiny. So if my future is you know, written, is writ, and she is visiting me and I'm dialoguing with her, Am I fated to be that? I remember I had this weird thought. Um, and I remember at that time, they said, very often when the future comes and visits, two things are happening. You have something right now that you need to feel safe and secure about. At least for me, I did. I needed to feel like there was purpose to my suffering, you know? And, um, and, and for me to understand the value that this is not forever and that like wheels of time, you know, it doesn't, nothing carries forward if I love and integrate the now. First point. The second point you're saying, if the future comes to visit, the choice here is, one, do you really still want to be South African? And then I was like, what do you mean? I never thought I want to be South African. They're like, no, but an asset of you did desire to be that. So they're like, you know, now the program is here. Do you still want to continue? <laughs> do you still want to continue in this? Uh, or have you integrated and loved maybe you being Asian and mixed and, you know, part Navajo in this life? Are you integrated with that? Do you still want to escape and be South African blonde with green eyed? And I was like, I'm not really sure. <laughs> you know, I never thought about race. <laughs> and then you're like, well, think about it. Because all of these images are coming through. And the third, they're saying archaeology. Is this truly how that will be found? And I paused. I was like, you're asking me a question I have no answer for. <laughs> and then they're like, yeah, but these are all things that you are invited to feel into, to see if this is something you want to happen. So, yes, my future, future self did come. And I remembered also, um, you know, going back to the deep meditation and having my future come, I did remember the part where I was dying this lifetime. And I, I remember the date, the time, where, and how many cats. <laughs> so I had cats and animals around me. And I was and I was dying in, in my rocking chair, um, observing the ocean. And I remember I was 69 or 70 years old at that time. And I went through the whole process of a life review. And uh, that was very interesting. And I remember that I thought I made peace with everything and I'm really good. And I thought, okay, this is where Calista has learned impermanence. Well, uh, I've, you know, done the whole thing on death and great. Now, new wisdom. Thank you very much. Guess what happened after? Mm. A short, a short two years later and around the same time period, I died in a motorbike accident, a physical death. And it made me aware that while I had finished and concluded the future part of my life, I did not foresee the immediate death that was coming to provide me really 
the the real um, lesson of death that I needed to go through to fully integrate that future. So that was something that was strange. <laughs> I haven't quite made sense of that yet, but um, yeah, when the future speaks, I've now been a, a lot, I've been humbled. Let's just say it, I've been humbled. <laughs> I've decided to just be open and curious. Hmm, why are you here? And what is it that I can um, understand in my now? And what are the choices available in my now? <laughs> because uh, the accident, for example, taught me that for all of my egoic delusions at that stage, you'd be like, okay, I understood death. I transcended. I somehow in this beautiful body understood what life after death is. I'm no longer afraid of it. It still didn't prepare me for dying. So um, this time around, uh, in these, these years subsequent to the death, I have been very humble. So I'm still not sure what the future uh, really entails or brings, like what wisdom it really brings. It brings a lot of questions. Oh, of which, yeah. <laughs> which I cannot, I cannot answer. I can keep asking questions and then at least two more questions. Um, and sometimes I wonder if there's actually a final answer or maybe the questions in itself is the journey I'm supposed to take. I haven't figured it out. Um, just, to you? just to clarify, when you're in the rocking chair with the ocean breeze and the cats, yeah. that's your life before this life as Callista? No, it's actually my life in this lifetime, but it changed after I died in the motorbike. So it's almost like I finished that arc. It's like we have threads of time. I was meant to die in that way at that time, having done specific things in my life. Mm. And then before my accident, I chose something very differently. And I remembered, I remembered uh, at that stage, I was defying fate and destiny. I was quite a rebel. And it, it had to do with a partner. So I had to either continue on being a spiritual teacher and being alone, or I would choose to be with my twin flame and basically say like, you know, no fate and destiny. I am the maker of my own destiny and I'm going to choose this. So actually my twin flame came in <laughs> and I chose him and it took me on a different path. And then that's where that whole line now, I cannot even visit in meditation. I have a memory of it. I know what it was like. My body remembers having gone through that, but I, it's no longer a time line, I guess, that I can access. Does that make sense? <laughs> it's like, it doesn't feel real anymore. It feels like that's done. Somehow that's dissolved. And then I went through the journey of my twin flame of physical death. And around this time was when the future self started visiting me. Mm. Yeah, so it's a weird thing. And in between these realms, um, that's when I had to make a few other decisions. And, and then afterwards, I lost my way. <laughs> I really did. I could not figure out what's up or what's down anymore. It was like I was in this fertile void of opportunity and, uh, and nothing was writ. So the only thing that I could see was the South, South African future. Mm. But the previous me had died. The new me has not yet come. And I'm not sure what else is in front of me in plural. <clears throat> Yeah, good question. You were at the zero point field. Yeah. You were at the void, like you said. Yeah. The fool. The fool in tarot. Mm. It's a new beginning. Yeah, absolutely. So 
Wonderful question. I've never even been asked that. So yeah, thank you. <laughs> that brought something out. Um, mm, zero point. It's interesting because I feel like my future self um, used to visit my child self. So I don't know if it's like me as a 30-something-year-old woman or me as a 40-something-year-old woman used to visit me as an eight-year-old quite a bit when I was younger. So I've never met, I don't believe that I recall right now, a 50-year-old, 60-year-old, 70-year-old version of me in this life. But when I saw the, the movie Interstellar with... Uh, Matthew McConaughey and you know it's this whole movie about time and space and it's oh my god so I saw it last year for the first time in the 2020 portal before lockdown though before and I cried like I've never cried in a film before like I cried so much remembrance when he was like visiting his daughter yeah. from from some you know time and space that was just so out there and not linear but he was leaving clues and leaving hints to both his daughter and technically for himself as well um, to get him out of a situation and I just got this like whole body knowing of like I used to do that to myself as a kid I used That's to leave these little um, hints and these little messages and these little threads um, that just kind of led me down this path of like being really interested in extraterrestrials, being really interested in the planets, um, painting the planets, like decorating my room with stars and planets and glow in the dark, you know, stuff. And I, I think that, as a kid, that was so natural to me. And then it did come to a point where ah, society or just like life taking over and my family being like, all right, let's go, you know, in another direction now. Otherwise, you're going to be a really strange, you know, kid um, really led me in a different direction. But for a long time, everything that had to do with aliens, extraterrestrials, um, space, time was was my world, like was home for me. Yeah, so. I, I totally resonate with what you're saying. And Interstellar was also really moving for me for that reason. Um, I'm not sure how uh, your body remembers it. But I remember when I was watching it, I felt like I was in between here and there and somewhere else. And I remember feeling like, oh, I don't want to be here, but, that's real, but I'm here. And this is just a movie... And I remember thinking to myself, no, wait, there's some element of truth here. And um, and as we're speaking, you know, I remember something. Yeah, you're really um, inspiring a lot of uh, memories that were latent until recently. Mm -hmm. I remember coming back to the beauty of plant medicine. I remember that I was doing a very deep dive with mushrooms after my accident. I was extremely fragmented. I had post-traumatic amnesia. And basically had a had a death, right? And so there were parts of me that were locked away in time. And I remember that when I got into mushrooms, I had this weird sense of like observing myself and then pulling back. 
And then I, I remember falling to a vortex. I'm like, no, wait a minute. I don't want to do this because I do not want to engage in a shadow work right now because I was with my friends. So like, you know, but there I went. As you know, the medicine has wisdom and it knows what we need. And so I went. And I remember that when I woke up in the hospital, I had only one name in my mind and it was ayahuasca. I knew I had to drink. And I remember that it was impossible because I was living in Chiang Mai at that time. I have not encountered medicine work or encountered any medicine um, community until then. And uh, I hadn't even taken psychedelics. So what would I know about ayahuasca? But I remember I woke up with her name. And very shortly after that, I was sitting on the table spontaneously with an ayahuasquero. And he was going to do a ceremony the next night. <laughs> and I remember it. I was like, wait, this is really strange. So I was in this mushroom journey observing. And like you said, you know, just like an interstellar, leaving clues. Yes. And I remember that as I was trying to swim back, like there were pieces of my soul, you know, swimming through the void and the vortex, trying to get back to my body, right? Pieces of my, of my recollection. And, uh, and I just couldn't, you know, but I remember that every single time, like a, a portal of time would open and I could see myself. I'm like, I should come in right now, but I couldn't because maybe there are other parts of me or there's still so much trauma. I just could not reach myself. So I would just, the portal would suddenly move and then I, I would be lost in time again, you know, this vortex. And I remember that the only thing I could do in that mushroom trip was to drop rainbow flags to be like, remember this ayahuasca, remember that, you know, um, you do some trauma work. Remember this, you need to actually go for your cranium. Remember that you need to go for a walk. And I remember that I was even rainbow flagging my partner. <laughs> <laughs> and so for for some funny reason, um, my twin flame was able to remember certain things and I didn't realize what he was doing until that, that mushroom trip. You know, we, uh, we never discussed it because it was just so much going on and it's almost so incredulous to think about it. But yeah, rainbow flagging it, exactly like interstellar style. And um, it's funny to also feel... I remember that I had this one um, meditation where I was, I was pondering <laughs> the idea of angels and angelic forces. Like you said, you know, we have an over soul, we have guides, we are all aspects of the divine, really, right? We could be here, we could be there, everywhere. Um, and sometimes we feel a presence, like a really supportive, loving, compassionate presence, a, a presence who knows us best as if it's like us. I'm actually, I was pondering that one time in meditation. If those angelic forces could be aspects of our future selves, that we've integrated the wisdom of this pain that we think we're going through now, and then we are able to travel back to be like, maybe we're doing the memory work, like you said, maybe we're doing the shadow work, maybe we're sitting with our demons, you know, having a chat, like, or maybe we're changing the cellular memory of our memories, you know, whatever it is, but we must be doing some work over there. And then we come and change the, we come and change the, the memory piece. Right. So we feel like an angelic force coming to visit ourselves in that moment, experiencing pain to be like, it's okay. Like, here's what you, here's the feeling of compassion for you. Here's feeling like you're held. Here's feeling like this too shall pass. And then in those moments, maybe we get clarity like, oh, this is, this is, this is why, or this is what I need right now. Or maybe we, we even fall into deep sleep. Right. I'm starting to wonder if this is actually what we are all doing. And then we call it angelic forces because 
we can't define what it actually is, right? We can't prove it. It's not scientifically possible yet, maybe, to really prove it. Um, but I wonder, because I feel like where there's smoke, there's fire. And if we look at entertainment being reflection of our social, cultural values right now, or, or the collective consciousness and what we're all believing and what we're all reawakening to, then these movies are essences of our truth. Yes. And that's why when we watch it, we feel so much resonance. We're like, of course, yes. Um, you know, it's not even funny for many of my friends uh, after they watch Doctor Strange, those in the New Age esoteric circles and those not. They're like, yeah, you know, I feel like that's totally possible. <laughs> you know, being in the mirror realm, right? Or uh, doing all these glyphs and actually jumping through portals. Like if you think about it, even Doctor Strange, a Marvel Universe movie, felt so resonant, <laughs> um, you know, how people are like, yeah, you know, all these probabilities when Dr. Strange is counting, you know, Thanos and all the ways in which this, this is the only reality and the only way in which this will actually work, that that's actually maybe what we do all the time, you know, so I'm, I'm really wondering. <laughs> so there's a couple of things. Thank you for sharing that. Um, just all of it feels like we're we're really like digging at something, you know, like we are archaeologists right now and we're like, uh, we're on this adventure, very Indiana Jones-like, but we're chipping yeah. away at our own, you know, our own bones in the sand, you know, our storyline um, in this lifetime, in the future. So to, to continue with the future thread, there is... Um, there's a piece that you mentioned about angels that is resonant for me because as a child, I would say the guardian angel prayer before bed every night because I grew up in a Catholic um, household and they taught us this prayer. And um, I really felt like there was a guardian angel with me at all times when I was a child. I would feel oh. the presence of an angel above my bed, in my room. You know, I'd have a lot of nightmares as a child. I'd wake up quite uh, upset about things I'd see because I'm always time traveling. This is something that, you know, a lot of us do. For those of us that actually acknowledge it, you know, and we understand it a little bit deeper now, totally saw an orb by your face right now as I said that, whoa, okay. Um, anyways, <laughs> angels. Yeah. So the guardian angel prayer as a kid, it, um, held this very angelic protective energy around me as a kid. And then when I started my spiritual journey and I started coming back to these angelic beings like Archangel Michael being one of my protectors, an anchor, just this very, very high frequency um, essence and consciousness. Obviously, he's he's a uh, he's not a he, but anyways, you know, <laughs> it is this frequency of truth and this frequency of like a divine warrior who's here with me. All, all my days, but really anytime I'm communicating, he's also one of these, uh, you know, he, he holds a sword and the sword represents in many cultures, truth and communication. 
and air, you know, breath and all this to say that these these angelic beings, they absolutely can be future versions of us. But then that's when it's like, okay, well, an angel versus an archangel. Again, there are high, there are levels, but I've been watching last year as well this series called Star Trek Discovery. So it's the new Star Trek. So again, we're bringing it back to like, you know, the exterior world reflecting back to us truth that we know that when we watch it and experience it through our screen, I got chills. I would cry in my bed in Peru, like just of remembrance, because there's an angel called the Red Angel, who is a future version of one of the characters the lead character who's also named Michael. So it's all these, all these like connections and threads. So she's like this hero. She's got this really strong spirit and will, and she's always fighting for good and justice. And the future version of, of her is a red angel, or that's what they call it because basically it, it's in this form. It's got this like crazy technology space suit and it flies in and it looks like a ball of light. And it's it's amazing how they depict it because for me, it just things started clicking. And I'm and I was like, okay, so when I'm a child and I'm connecting to this energy of a guardian angel, it could also be a future version of me. It could also be a future it's version great. of somebody, an ancestor, anybody that I'm connected to that feels like, you know, our, our storylines uh, are interwoven. And so they want to be that presence for me when I'm a kid growing up, when I'm afraid, having these nightmares, time traveling, you know, um, also we're quite naive and innocent in a lot of ways. And so that's when like a lot of darkness will try to take us down these, these paths as children. So it's also very, like it's very relevant, all of these angelic protective energies. I'm understanding them more and more now. They've just always been here. They're, they've always been a part of my story. And I know so many people who connect to them and who are remembering more and more about their experiences with angels. Yeah, and um, you know what's really funny? I love Star Trek Discovery too, by the way. Yeah. Um, what's funny, I don't know if you made the connection, but um, they actually jump into the mycelia to actually time travel. Yes. <laughs> and I always think it's like, the Star Trek Discovery network. is one big trip. <laughs> yes. It's, it's one big mushroom trip. <laughs> yes. And that's where, and that's where the also like the limitless possibilities of the universe, these like cosmic networks. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what's really funny. Um, I just happened to, I was reading this, this book that my, well, kind of a book that my friend printed out for me, but on this page is actually a, um, a, uh, a quote or a channeling by this lady called Celia Fenn of Archangel Michael. I don't know if that's relevant, but actually it's, it's like, it's pretty relevant. So I'm going to just read it out. And um, the title is living in your heart light, the way to inner peace and tranquility. Mm-hmm. So I know we've been talking a lot about transcendence. I think this is another way to look at it. So according to Archangel Michael, at this time, 
there is much turmoil and fear on your beloved planet. Many people are living in fear, and the fear is being amplified by your media. And so the general mood of the collective consciousness is anxiety and fear and stress. You do not have to be here too. You can make the choice to be in your inner peace and tranquility. You can make the choice to live in the radiant light of your heart and spirit. Take a moment to look around you. Breathe deeply and see your home, your own sacred space. See the clothes that you wear and the food that you eat. See your family and your friends. Know that you are safe and that you are protected and that you are cared for in this time of transition. For as the old paradigm falls away and the old energy dissipates, many people seem caught in the place of seeming limbo, neither in one nor the other. They feel as if they have no true foundation for their lives and they feel stressed and they panic easily. But if you move deep within into the light of your heart and feel deep within you the essential love at your core, you will know that you are safe and you will find that inner peace and courage that will sustain you and create a solid foundation for you in the new paradigm and the new earth grids. And you know what's really funny? This book, I think, was not written in 2020. Mm. Um, it's a weird, uh, ratty book that my friend salvaged. And so he, he printed copies of it. Um, but it's basically called New Earth Teachings of Transformation and Harmony. And I think it's written maybe um, before 2011. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we're talking about like, you know multi-dimensional like truth speakers right and there's just all this information here reading that out even if it was written say 2011 for example 10 years ago it's so relevant till today <laughs> it's so relevant till today and i think that's the timelessness of truth you know and maybe that's what you know really coming back to this beautiful topic that you've, you've come up with today transcendence maybe what is eternal is what we're trying to remember. And that's a whole journey of transcendence in itself. When we touch base with an eternal truth, something that is so timeless, it just feels right. And then like my body right now, I'm here and nothing else matters. Like in the now, right? <laughs> Maybe that's the power of it, you know, of this, of this, um, of these eternal truths or, or these constant mirroring from the external universe. Like, through media and entertainment, we feel it. And then our body goes through whatever it needs to go through to, to come home to be like, ah, that's, that's it. This is, this is my truth. This is the truth or a truth or whatever it is, but it's truth. And I'm it. And now I'm that. And then maybe sometimes we cry in gratitude, cry in nostalgic cry because there's no other format but to do but to cry. But I, I really feel that there's something here about, you know, what we're discussing. It's it's such a, a wonderful experience. <laughs> so there's something you said, remembering truth is transcendence. Like for me, when you remember truth, it doesn't matter if you're remembering from the past, if you're remembering from the future, like truth transcends linear time.
This is where, okay, so we've gone quite into the future. Now I want to go a little bit to the past, especially since 
we were talking about, you know, me being this little kid in bed, having nightmares and having angels around. How can we go to the past? How can we go to the past in this life? So just to a moment in our timeline where we are younger, where we are pure, when we're vulnerable, um, when we're actually, you know, quite authentic authenticity of children is something that is is so beautiful to watch it's so beautiful to remember if you can journey travel yourself back to a moment in time when you're doing this this inner child work and I know you have a lot of experience in this and I've dabbled a little bit in my inner child memories um but how can that actually help us in our present moment by traveling a little bit back in time and doing some inner child work? Yeah, so for me, I'd invite you to really drop into your body. So two ways. Um, To really focus on resources that are talents, traits, um, moments of joy, you know, all the positive, uplifting, um, engaging emotions or feelings or memories. I would say if you just close your eyes, so your listeners, if you would like to try this, just close your eyes and drop into your body and just simply notice, become aware of what's pleasurable in your body. Maybe it's the tip of your fingers, maybe it's your fingernails, maybe it's your heart, and maybe intensify those pleasure centers. Maybe you're starting to notice a connection as a heart expands. Ooh, the feet feel good too. Okay, so maybe it's in your feet as well, but really notice these pleasurable sensations and intensify them. And then as they intensify, just allow the curiosity to just expand with you and to be like, hmm, what's there? And it could be that in that space, you remember something. It could be in that space, you touch base with something that's truly you. A moment of joy, a moment of curiosity, creativity, a moment, a spark of memory of like, this is the most amazing sunset or even just their child picking up seashells by the seashore, right? But something there is pleasurable. And now go into that space and just be there with your child and see what she or he would like to actually bring into your vision. And what is what are they trying to convey to you, right? And it could be that they're showing you do you remember we did this and look at how amazing this was? Or it could be even a sense of you as the adult recognizing like, oh my gosh, this is something that I haven't tapped into or I haven't given this part of my inner child time of day or expression in this in this current moment. But I still feel this joy when I go back into it. So then just expand into that and then invite any questions or any dialogue that happens with this aspect of you to Say, how can you find your expression in the now and how can I best support you in this moment? And then, you know, wherever your hands feel meaningful for you, just put your hands there and breathe into that. And then allow that sense of pleasure to, cons- to completely permeate your body and then extending outwards around you. And then start extending that awareness into anything else outside of you. And it could be that that state of bliss you sit in. Right. And so there's an authentic truth there in that bliss. <laughs> if you're trying to break that down, well, what does that feel like? You wouldn't know. But if your inner child got there by showing you, well, when we do art and I'm taking crayons and I'm doing all these doodles, this is how I feel. 
then the next time you take a crayon and you do this in the present, invite your child to come with you and then stay with the pleasure. Like, huh, it might be that you even notice tension. It might be that the tension's there that makes you unable to fully enjoy. Tell the tension, I see you, I hear you. One second, let me feel into this or ask the tension. What is it that you're trying to protect me from? Right? What is it here that maybe uh, you're, I'm not comfortable with or you're not comfortable with? What is it here? And you might discover that there's also an authentic part of you going, this is a really, really, really treasured, vulnerable part of you. And I don't want you to feel hurt or I don't want you to feel shut down. And maybe there was an, a memory there about being shut down before, but the authenticity is still there. So you tell the tension, hold on one second, allow me to be with this part of me and let's draw. And so you continue experiencing the crayon and you'll start noticing the pleasure sensation starting to increase. And then you invite the parts of you that were tense. How about if you retire? Would you like to feel like you could rest? And you'd be amazed at the authentic, um, you know, relief that even comes through that. Yes, I would like to relax. Yes, I, I would love to enjoy crayons. And so it might be that all of a sudden you and all your parts are enjoying crayoning. And, um, and then that's, that's how that in that moment, regardless of any other external variables, you might be super in that state of bliss and enjoy. And then there's an integration that comes through. Right. So I would say like that's a that's a authentic when it comes to your children and the parts of you inside. And you might even notice that the intuition is also a part of your inner child. As as children, we have innocent wisdom. Right. We we know and we intuit things, but we don't have the knowledge or the skillful means to express ourselves, but we just know. Right. So then there are also these parts, and it could be that intuition could not find expression in the past. Okay, what came up then is a part of you that went, don't do this because of that. That's also authentic. And that you might notice if we look into Carl Jung and his archetypes, that part that was created might be the mother or the parent that you needed to be for yourself in those moments. So on two angles, the shadow and the bright, the bright is you have a very maternal, wise, caring aspect that's protective, very maternal that wants to take care of your child. Then the shadow aspect is the protector part of the child does not want the child to get hurt. Therefore, it's preventing you from feeling ease in your life. Both are true, right? So when you start having dialogues with all of these parts of yourself and start noticing in your body first where the tension is or where the expansions are, then you'll start actually noticing connections. It could be that while you're chatting with your shoulder, oh, your belly's going, and then while your belly's going, oh, your right toe is going. And, and then you start mapping out the relationships and, in a way, the family structure of your parts, of your ch children, and yourself in the now. And behind all of this, as you're observing this, you'll start realizing, wait, I have a part of me that's observing all of this that is holding space. And it's just so compassionate for all of these parts to have dialogues. And, and I'm able to just listen and accept them without judgment. I'm just curious. And then that's the, the part of us that's eternal. And in a way, that's maybe what transcendence is all about, remembering or coming back to the state, right? So I love doing parts work for this reason, because all of it's authentic. You know, there isn't a part of you that should be shamed or blamed or exiled, um, you know, because they all have gifts. And we live in a world of duality and polarity. So if there's a part that's overprotective, 
there's a part that is extremely maternal or motherly or loving or caring, you know, and sometimes when you move into the caring for those of us that haven't recognized uh, the, the authenticity of our parts, we might only love the good part of this, of this uh, maternal maternalness. <laughs> and then we don't actually want the overprotective bit because we think it should not exist. And that creates another fragmentation. So the authenticity is the fact that you have a maternal part and that archetype is within all of us. And so when we start recognizing, well, with that comes these bits and why do these bits exist? Who are the children, our inner children that they're taking care of? We start recognizing that, oh, okay, all of these could just experience ourselves and we find expressions and ways for them to be. So we find ourselves becoming increasingly authentic, right, in that process. So um, I know, or I've heard, and I've been on this journey myself, where I have wanted to meditate my ego to... Um, <laughs> non-existence and I was fighting with it so much that it became so much stronger mm. you know it's like why do you want me to go away I am the rational mind um and I started I started really dialoguing with it and I realized well actually it's all all of this authentic right so for me it really comes back down to the body and why why I mentioned this is because we we're mentioning a window to the past we can access our linear time window through our body. All these parts are our inner child or when these protective aspects of us actually burst within us, uh, when they actually found meaning, the amount of time that they actually feel that they have had to be in service. And that's why some parts of us are exhausted in the now. All of that's because there has been a progression. So we look into the linear time, our bodies actually feel that. And then if you extend that from the body into the external world, and you want to talk about past lives, our relationships <laughs> and the people that we meet mm. are those that actually somehow mirror um, maybe existing uh, patterns that have not been fully integrated or resolved or transcended, you know? And so now the external universe is bringing that into our um inner world and then our inner world are actually trying to dialogue with that right so i do feel that the the window and the lens to the bot uh, to the past is actually our bodies and then through that another window opens up to the external world where we then let go of patterns so we don't have to keep pulling new things in and if we look at that then in many ways we're also disentangling a lot of relationships that have already fulfilled their purpose for the other party, for example. And then as we actually work on ourselves, these threats actually dissolve. And so we actually all can come into a deeper state of union with ourselves, right? And, and love and acceptance and compassion and curiosity and a healthy social engagement um, version of ourselves. So yeah, I think for me, at least these days on my journey, the body really keeps the score. And I think there's a book called The Body Keeps the Score. <laughs> I really highly recommend that because it really gives a very good snapshot into um, how the body actually retains memory. And then once it becomes saturated, it requires your attention. Repeating injuries, for example, are like that. And then I would recommend um, an internal family systems model by Richard Swartz to actually complement uh, body memories because once they become so saturated, 
How do you dialogue with them? And the internal family systems model, you can just read his books uh, by Richard Schwartz. I think No Bad Parts, it's a really good one to start, um, to actually have these tiny meditations to actually just dialogue with them. And you'll start noticing that these are all um, real parts of us. And the parts of us that may feel like we're faking it um, or by people pleasing, for example, this part had to survive at some point because of something that happened in the past. And that, again, could be something that shifts. But in my journey, at least on my own uh, healing journey with myself about this, we all people please to fit in. We are actually constantly mirroring. We're mimicking. That's how we learn. There's nothing bad. But if you start recognizing that, oh, there's a part of me that's constantly people pleasing. So maybe my throat chakra is shut down. Maybe my solar plexus is weak. You know, I, I don't have a sense of self. Then in those moments, just recognize when you integrate the parts of you that had to survive, you might discover that all of the talents and the traits, your diplomacy and how you communicate, uh, you know, how thoughtful you are with your empathy, how thoughtful you are mimicking people's body language to make them feel safe. All of that are actually really strong traits and resources. Now, with the integrated wisdom of like, ah, I sweated for that. I cried for that. I bled for that. I, I suffered for that. These are all things that now finally can move into a new state of wisdom. And again, you transcend that. And then you, you suddenly use all of your skills or you are your skills and your talents and your resources in a different way. And you mobilize it differently too, because now you'll have a different way of being, right? So for me, yeah, the past, I feel, <laughs> has a lot more context and a lot more grounding and um, practical applications, you know, um, and no matter what, what kind of body stuff we do, body work, you know, with meditation, movement work, five rhythms, movement medicine, authentic movement, content improvisation, all of these things, you know, it could be even tantric where you just eye gazing, anything to do with the body actually provides a really good lens into the past for me, at least, mm. you know, I'd love to hear if anyone actually has any other viewpoints, because I do know hypnotherapy, for example, causes the body to completely go into deep relaxation and allows uh, things from the mind and the mental space and maybe from the quantum space to immerse, to emerge, right? And then afterwards, we process it through dialogue and communication. I'm not a hypnotherapist, but I'm really curious to see how that actually um, interplays with the window to the past. So I have two things that are coming to mind. Um, one of them being, yes, I, I have had a hypnotherapy regression session and it's quite, quite potent, quite powerful. Um, it definitely opens, opens the door for lots more questions, though, because, you know, things come through and then you're like, OK, but now I got another question and now I got another question. Now I'm going down this path, this spiraling path of um, healing, for example, for me, uh, my relationship with my father. Um, and with the masculine and with, you know, the patriarchy all wrapped up into one, like choose a lifetime. It doesn't even have to be this one. You know, my father and I have been father and daughter many, many, many lifetimes. And then when we haven't been father, daughter, we've also been in lifetimes together, part of the same tribe. 
possibly on opposing, <laughs> you know, uh, beliefs or the way that we lived. So, um, yes, hypnotherapy is a window into the past and there's a lot of beautiful things that I have seen proven in my life that came through that modality um, that I was able to access and work through over time. And another thing that I think is really powerful, and maybe you wouldn't even think of it, is actually essential oils. Because oh, wow. um, the power that I have in my nose, like the power of scents, actually, um, my sister here in Avalon, she works a lot with fairy magic and the the oils the essential oils of plants and herbs are a fairy medicine so they take us to memories yes. they help us access memories past life memories present memories and i have seen how this has worked with all oils incenses tobacco the smell of tobacco helping me remember like native american lives and things like this and so it's overlooked a lot of times, but if you are in a beautiful ceremony where, mm -hmm. you know, there's drumming or there's ecstatic dance, if you add the element of smell, if you add scent to that space, it just takes it up a notch for me of what you're able to access, of what you're able to explore, remember, like co-create. So for me, even for this podcast recording, like I burned specific incense and I put some violet leaf essential oil on my third eye and my heart before we started speaking. Because uh, that really helps me access my ak akakash. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So yeah. That. I actually totally love that. Yeah, it never really occurs to me. Um, we talk so much about plant medicine and then there's the whole world of plants, you know, and flowers and... And trees. Yeah, yep. Trees Essences, and wood. Resin. Yeah. Think about it. Some of the plants on this planet are record keepers in their own right. The trees are elders. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. the ferns that um, are perfect, absolutely perfect. They have already achieved, I believe it's homeostasis. So they, will, mm -hmm. they won't evolve anymore because they are already perfect. So I'm talking about those beautiful ferns that you see like, like fern goli, right? In, the, in all parts of the world, really. Ferns in, in Asia. Um, we have ferns here in Ireland and England and Hawaii. Um, these plants actually hold a lot of wisdom for humanity, which as we're coming back to all this remembrance, we're finally going back again to the plants, to the cacao, you know, the seeds, the, the trees, the fruits, like it's all here for us. It's almost mm -hmm. like, you know, how we've been talking about how we've been leaving these little hints and these little clues, these little breadcrumbs. So has like the universal creator left us on planet earth with all of these little gifts and, and threads for us, these seeds for us to experience, to also expand, transcend, grow, change. Yeah. I really love how you're bringing the, you know, concept of fairy medicine and, and flower medicine or plant medicine, because we love cacao ceremonies. And it really opens the heart. You know, it does something on a 
energetic cellular um, thing. And of course, we could say, oh, cacao has an anandamine and all of these things that actually activate the bliss hormone, but other parts of our body feel it too. And whenever we tap, or at least, I don't know, when, when I've said cacao ceremonies, there's so much resonance of love, right? That, yeah, we do overlook <laughs> the power of, uh, of fairy medicine. And I think, um, apart from essential oils, I'm not sure if you tried, I've heard of Bach flower remedies or something like that. They're like flower yes. essences, right? And you put them under your tongue and then it, it awakens something in your cellular memory. And then it brings you into that past um, where you can work on, I guess it's an all body level, <laughs> any lingering emotions or stuck energies, and then and working and observing them or even facing them and going through it again, one can actually transcend that, but maybe in a less intensity, because I heard that the flowers come into support, um, but I'm not sure how they do that. I mean, what's your, what's your understanding of flower medicine? This is super cool for me. <laughs> yeah, so it's multi-layered um, because I don't have any personal experience with Bach medicine it's like this person, I think his last name is Bach. So that's why it's named, you know, Bach flower essences, but um, it's a whole system and it's very, very um, complete. It's like a complete system that this, this person created. And yes, they are for healing purposes. And when I first was doing Reiki sessions, um, having Reiki done on me when I was like literally a baby in the spiritual world. And I was like, what? I was just curious. What is, what is Reiki? What is, what is flower essences? What are crystals? This whole shop had had it all. And the woman that owned the shop in Spain, she worked with Bach medicine. So actually I would just go to her and be like, I'm feeling this you know, like, like, a, like you'd go to a therapist or like you'd go to, you know, a grandmother, right? And she'd just do a little concoction. She'd mix and match based on her, you know, understanding of the box system. So she would do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And then she'd create me a dropper with like multiple um, supportive flowers, flower essences. Yeah. And I would just take it in full trust and in full surrender, but it would right stuff up and I would cry a lot and I would actually go through some of these like deep um I don't know if I would yeah it might be that I was accessing like pain points I was accessing memories I remember again because of the aspect of it being a liquid so remember liquids always connected to emotions so I was allowing the emotions to flow through me through this um these flower essences so now I'm not so much on that on that path it's been a long time since I've worked with that medicine but I actually work with fern medicine because I have aligned with a beautiful being in Hawaii he is amazing his name on Instagram is Pohala Botanicals and he creates fern essence medicine which you take in droppers underneath your tongue and it's also a perfect perfect system that is from his Hawaiian lineage from the Mu lineage basically from the times of like Lemuria Mu Lemuria so every fern holds a specific frequency and it's 
every fern is related to an emotion. So it is uh, the fern of divine truth is a fern that I work with. The fern of divine glee is a fern that I work with. And then the one that I worked with today before we recorded as well is the fern of divine grace. Amazing. So it is ka'ape'ape, the fern of divine grace, to really bring in that feminine, you know, power, that that Kuan Yin energy that I love. She's also the goddess of grace. Yeah, Yeah, we were just talking about how you were drawing and feeling the Kuan Yin energy before you started the podcast. It's just really beautiful to see that that's so synchronistic. (laughs) There are no accidents in my world. No. It all works no beautifully. You know, as we're talking about the beauty and the femininity and the qualities of this ancient wisdom and very young plants, right? Because if we think about linear time, plants don't necessarily have long lifespans, except for trees. <laughs> but they have this eternal grace about them, right? And it's constantly regenerative. And I'm also thinking like in a ritualistic sense, when we look at our ancestors or the Druids, for example, or even, you know, just any form of ritualistic ceremonies, there are always flowers. Hindu ceremonies have marigold for Ganesha, <laughs> right? And I think, um, you know, when you do a cacao, always, yeah, beautiful rose and lavender. And we're constantly working with timeless medicine. We just don't pay attention to it. And, in a way, when we think about how the Druids, or even in an ayahuasca ceremony, when we work with these florals, we're constantly opening portals into the past and also portals sometimes into the future, right? But um, they're almost, yeah, like you say, guides both ways. <laughs> they're yes. guides into space of maybe beyond time. I can't say no time, but it's beyond time, you know? And um, I think that's, yeah, it's so funny, right? It's so interwoven into our being that we don't even think about it. It's just, well, of course, it looks beautiful, you know, and it makes me feel good and it's soft and it's got these soft qualities and men and women without judgment just feel calmer. Like they are more in their bodies when we see a beautiful flower assemble or a, an altar or something with flowers and plants and, you know, and it drops us into our bodies all the time. You're so right. I just landed. I'd never thought about it, but we do this all the time. And um, yeah, essential oils. Yeah. I'll definitely look into that. Thanks for this <laughs> insight. Oh, I have, I have a collection of essential oils now, like from um, here in England, from Peru, from California. I'm really like growing from actually Guatemala, from Mexico. You know, I've been traveling and have stuff from Egypt, specific flowers, rose, you know, spike nard. Again, it's interesting that you say that flowers and plants are actually quite young in comparison to, you know, how old our planet is or in comparison to trees. But I will actually like to um, throw this out there into the pot and just see how it lands for you. Some of the plants that we have on this planet come from other planets. So the consciousness is ancient. You know, uh, Venusian Venusian realms actually are very connected. If not, the rose, I believe, might have been cultivated, grown, um, birthed on the planet Venus. And so the way we experience the rose as one of these 
mystical, like transcendent smells. And it's just, it's this perfect spiraling, beautiful flower that I think everyone on this planet can agree the beauty and grace of a rose. Think about how ancient the rose actually is if it came from another planet, another star system before Earth. We're experiencing it here in the physical on Earth now in our reality, but it probably has these memories and these um, these codes from a civilization that you know we're not familiar with that is maybe more advanced than us. Actually, they say Venus is like an ascended um, sister planet of Earth, and therefore, when we bring the rose or the rose oil or you know um, smoke rose in a blend in a smoke blend like a ceremonial tobacco rose damiana you know we are bringing actually ancient cosmic wisdom into our physical body into our physical space here on earth to hold a ritual to have an experience to to journey either alone or in in a group setting and it's definitely like it's beyond time. It's not just about, um, yeah, the here and now. That's the way I see it. Yeah. I, I really like that. I mean, I can, I have never heard personally of um, plants coming from other systems, but I can believe that. And for me, it's always been curious. I can't talk about flowers because I'm not really learned in that, but it brought me back to plant medicine. How do we know ayahuasca is? <laughs> that potent. How do we know that ayahuasca and chakruna or some other form actually works together? Who devised a recipe? And when we look at this beautiful vine, it doesn't really fit into what most of our flora on this planet looks like, you know? So I'm thinking. It's a serpent medicine. Yeah, what if that? Serpent medicine. Yeah, it's yeah. a serpent medicine and also... If you think about like Bufo, for example, whoever inspired someone to smoke someone's uh, a toad poison, you know, and, and why does this particular toad poison have such, um, I guess, timelessness when in the experience or, you know, other are the plants, Iboga, for example, and um, Bobansana and all of these other medicinal wisdom or tobacco even, you know. And I, I always feel like whenever we look at these really powerful plant teachers, they kind of look a little out of space. Like Bob and Santa looks really avatar-like, you know, <laughs> it doesn't look like it fits on earth, but it's so beautiful and they stand out, you know? And if you think about, if you think about all of the other flowers that we have on earth, yeah, rose kind of stands out, you know, it doesn't have, find me another flower that looks like rose. <laughs> I have not seen that, but you can find a sunflower that looks like a daisy that looks like something else in my, in my point of view, mm. a carnation, which is probably the closest thing that we think about to a rose isn't quite a rose, you know, um, it's interesting to think about it that way. Um, and I think if we're to really ground it down to maybe just signs, you know, for those of us who are perhaps into more of that, well, we're all made of the same, Core, core atomic structures or atoms or base materials, carbon or whatever. And so, yeah, that substance is way older than any form of um, expression is actually found. 
you know, it's just iterations and iterations of different compounds that are put together. So if we really think about it, maybe we should have a conversation with the quarks and the protons and all of these other, um, you know, base, base structures that really define our universe. Because I think within that might be, might be all of the other codes, all of the other light codes, because again, light is eternal, it's frequency, right, that we tap into. Maybe that's where some of the light codes actually get um, manifested and broken down to something that we can understand, right? Photosynthesis and all of these things happen, but it's from what? Photons. Um, and then in this form of energy. So, yeah, I think, you know, if we pare it down to the signs, I can see the, the dynamic and the dance between expression and foundation. Um, and I think it's really powerful to think of that in the way that we work with ourselves because <laughs> at our at our core you know we always say like i'm you you're me in lakesh you know uh, namaste but i think foundationally it truly is that i am base carbon just as you are base carbon <laughs> and our base carbon is eternal um we don't know from whence it started we don't know how carbon started you know and all of these other things we don't know why it started but we do know that it is here and so when we actually start tapping into our own divinity again, um, and we start breaking ourselves down, right? Inner work sometimes feels like that. We start composting ourselves and we start decomposing or deconstructing ourselves. What we really essentially find is that there's a self beyond the self. There's a, a time that's beyond the time. And, and then we, we come to the eternal truth that requires no explanation. And sometimes I think maybe that's what we get to, uh, the state of emptiness or shinyata in the Buddhist sense, the state of, of, of oneness, you know, um, not no mind specifically, but all mind and therefore no expression or no need for expression. So, yeah. Would you say beauty, really beauty falls into there? Because I actually want to bring beauty into this because... When I work with plant essences, when I work with fairy medicine and oil, there is a potency that is feels beyond beyond this now moment, and it, it's related to beauty. It's like an inner beauty, an outer beauty, um, an, an everlasting beauty. You know, also when you think about fairies and the fae realms there is this element of um the land of eternal youth right so it's eternal beauty eternal uh, realms again like transcending time um and just i guess with the with the rose piece is like the rose is authentic as the rose and the carnation is authentic as the carnation the carnation is not trying to be the rose. The rose isn't trying to be the sunflower. The sunflower is not trying to be the fern. You know, these plants are, are what they are. They came here to this earth. They're holding their consciousness, their frequency. Some of them do evolve in their ways and just as we do. But in the end, it is this, this interesting thing because it, I think it reflects back to us that we are most beautiful and most powerful and potent when we are in our authentic frequency when we're not trying to be something that we're not when we're not trying to be you know like our neighbor we just are who we are we just are our essence that is enough 
And taking it back to the very beginning of this conversation, that is perfect in itself. To just come yeah, as you are. I, I love that. I really, really do. And, you know, to bring it back a little bit just to the concept of beauty. I mean, how do we know something's beautiful? You know, beauty is such a subjective construct. But we seem to all agree that specific things are beautiful. And I think when people break it down, some of them have said, oh, it's those are the golden ratio, the Fibonacci sequence, you know, that innate perfection of, of the way things are created. That's what makes nature beautiful. That's what makes specific things like patterns that we see beautiful. There's a form of symmetry there um, that we find beautiful. But beauty in itself, I, I think, uh, resonates with a timelessness qualities of our soul. It is something that we identify the state of perfection right and so when we see and recognize that in something else like the transience of it too this beautiful sunset it is only being what it is it will never come back again or it may never come back again and even if it does we may not be witnessing it but there's something there that takes our breath away right same thing for a beautiful rose or anything a beautiful altar you know there's just something here that has a timelessness to it and i think that calls into us the state of authenticity. Because in those moments, and I think in some Native American traditions for the bead bracelets, they always leave one or two beads out of alignment because they say it's like there's a humility in recognizing imperfection. But when we see that with our eyes, unless we really look for it, it's just beautiful. And if you look at altars and things like that, nothing is truly perfect in this perfect symmetry idea, but it's so beautiful. And maybe it's within that recognition that we accept ourselves and our authenticity be, well, I am who I am, you know, <laughs> curves, edges, and all. And there's something so perfectly imperfect about me that in that state of beauty that I see in something so beautiful, I am humbled by my own beauty within. And so then we almost are in awe of that, but then we forget to turn it inwards to be it's also me, <laughs> but the power of beauty. I think that's, uh, that's what we might be getting at. The power of beauty is it matters not where you turn the lens because beauty has the ability to take your breath away, right? It's breathtaking. <laughs> mm. it, it, it takes you into this moment where it doesn't matter who's the observer, who, who's the, the thing being observed. It, it's, it's not even that you're just so present with the state that you feel that you are here. And, and I think that's the power of ceremonies too, you know, when it, it, there's beauty in it. Um, you know, we, we create, we co-create the beauty. Maybe when we are in ceremonies, we all want to dress respectfully and we are all donning what we feel is beautiful for us. But then when we come together, we're all different, but that's a ceremony that will never happen again, <laughs> right? Uh, even if you wear the same clothes, you know, your hair is different, something else is different, your eye or maybe the water in your face might be different. So there's a, a form of impermanence to that beauty and, and also a, maybe a constant reminder for our own self to be like, there's an impermanence to the pain. There's an impermanence to this moment and this beauty. And I think beauty is, is so, yeah, so irreverent in that sense. Like as I, as I talk about it, I'm realizing like it's so subjective. <laughs> it's so abstract. That transcendent. In the yeah, it's transcendent, Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and the abstraction is transcendent. And I'm like, wow, you know, yeah, I never, 
Wow, this this conversation is great. I I would I never um would have thought about that on my own. So some magic here is working. <laughs> Yeah, it's wonderful. Kind of gets, gets us tongue-tied a little bit too because it's like you yeah. can't quite define it. You yeah, I love how you're holding a rose right now. I am holding a rose, <laughs> yes. I picked this rose from my garden <laughs> and it was here on the altar while we've been speaking and it wanted it. You know, it spoke to me. It was looking at me while we were talking and it was oh. like, bring me into the podcast because that's another thing is like, the more I've gone on my journey, the more I realize like what, which of my connections in this reality are strongest and it is plants and it is flowers and it is these consciousnesses that, you know, they, they've always been here holding a frequency and now they're like, give me a little bit of the, you know, the spotlight because people will, will receive from it just like we received just by having a beautiful flower on our altar or our, our dinner table. Um, people will receive when we speak the name of the rose, when we speak about, you know, this potentiality of it coming from the planet Venus, of it, of it holding a very high frequency um, for meditation, for journeying, you know, buy yourself a rose essential oil work on that massage your heart massage your third eye allow yourself to remember who you are in all of your facets and that's part of that soul retrieval and just like becoming whole again i really love this conversation of beauty and you know maybe we should open the door i don't know if you feel it but maybe we should open the door into um perhaps what, what what might be deemed a very sensitive topic but the world of beauty in the form of humans, we are constantly bombarded with advertisements about what you're supposed to look like and what's beautiful. And I think in South Korea, apparently, and I, I could be wrong about this, please don't, don't quote me, but or forgive me if it's wrong. But I heard that there are six very popular faces that people go into plastic surgery for, like six popular faces. We've somehow as a species condensed what beauty is. You know, and we, we constantly try to feed this image that this is what perfection or beauty is. And then, and, and I'm wondering, you know, like we notice and recognize this in the abstraction of nature, in the abstraction of, of animals. Animals are all, you know, variant and different. And we, we, we notice the abstraction of sunsets and beautiful vistas. Why is it that as humans, we seek to control what beauty is? It's, it's a wonderful thing because are we trying somehow to uh, uniform something that's abstract? Because if that's the case, it's like controlling something that cannot be controlled. But we somehow all fallen in line about this and it's may have made us feel smaller than we're supposed to be. Like, I know I've been a victim of um, advertisements and, you know, all of that be like, oh my gosh, like that, I don't look like that. <laughs> you know? Um, or like, oh, I should dress these, you know, clothes because it's what's supposed to look good um, and trend right now. And now suddenly beauty is a trend, right? And we've almost commoditized something that's so unique about us. Um, and we're trying to, I guess, make us all singular. It's a really weird thing. Like, I, I'm not sure why we do that um, as humans. And, and if we think about that, because we are now all trying to conform to a stereotype idea of beauty where we've all lost our authenticity like are you wearing clothes because you want to or is it because that's what's in trend and is it in trend 
and, and or is it only because you have choices because the fashion industry is telling you that this is what's available for you to wear? It's really hard to 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 conceptualize. Like we've somehow um, defined what beauty is, and we've just gone through this beautiful thing of talking about nature and its abstraction rituals and ceremonies, and we're also different, and our souls are so beautiful, and you know a lot of um, healing work is recognizing how beautiful you, you actually really are, you know, and and somehow our external universe is forcing us into boxes. And I'm not comfortable with that. Like it's a, it's a weird, weird thing to think about, you know? Um, and so what feels to be happening right now, when we think about the beauty industry or even the fitness industry or the wellness industry, we're all trying to transcend ourselves as we are born to get to that state of illusory perfection, <laughs> you know? And then suddenly transcendence means that. You know, have you ever gone to a yoga class where it's just really more about what people are wearing than oh, actually about? Oh God, that's why I don't go to. That's why I don't go to yoga. But yes, right? Or it's really like you're in a studio where there's a mirror. Like, shouldn't it be about how you feel in your body? And so it's just one of those weird things. Um, how did that happen? It's and why? Why did we choose to do this? And how is it that no matter our understanding of the beauty of nature and what we've just talked about, the abstraction and within that, the transcendence, the timelessness quality of real beauty that I found myself being affected by this some, somehow. Like I do have self-doubts, you know, as a woman, I do, right? Like I wonder if this is about what I'm wearing is going to trigger somebody. I wonder if my hair should be this way. Um, it's just fascinating. You know, I, I don't have blonde hair as a person, but I had blonde hair for many years trying to pretend that I was something that I'm not. Mm -hmm. And yet during those times, I was spouting words of authenticity, be yourself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, then, and then the caveat for that is I am being myself because I'm a creative individual. And right now I would like to see myself with blonde hair. <laughs> you were just testing out the blonde hair of your future lifetime where you're this blonde <laughs> South African archaeologist. I mean... In that oh sense, God. I think, you know, let <laughs> let yourself live a bit, live a bit, <laughs> forgive those moments where you're preaching one thing, but you're kind of like skirting around in your own <laughs> inner world, like still playing with, you know, do I consider myself beautiful? Am I enough? Yeah. I think this is where my work with plants and plant medicine is like finally coming to like a culmination of, of like... Mm -hmm they hold me to a certain frequency that even I never held myself to that standard in the past. And that standard is often, again, come as you are, come mm. to nature as you are, take your shoes off, right? Walk barefoot on my land, feel me, experience me, and know that you, you are seen, you yeah. are seen like I, the, the trees and the plants and the flowers see my soul. They know who I yeah. am. And then mm. they help us remember. Like yes. They help me remember who I am so that when I go into a crowded room of yogis or spiritual, you know, like whatever with their, their outfits and their characters and, you know, their, their, I'm not saying that these people are not authentic. I'm just saying yeah that sometimes it does seem quite copycatty. Like they're all trying to one-up each other with the hats or the outfits or the whatever it may be. <laughs> yes, and then I come true. in 
no makeup and just like sometimes I have a flower in my hair or something, right? Because this is what the plants teach me. It's like, just come as you are. That is enough. That is enough for ceremony. That is enough for gathering. That is enough for um, that. It's just enough. <laughs> yeah, it's enough. Literally more than enough. It's perfect. I love that. I think that's that's the thing. Like if we over intellectualize this thing and be like, well, why are you doing certain things? We might lose the point of it. And I think maybe beauty, when it happens and we are all in amazement of it, there's a raw simplicity to it, you know? So maybe even having conversations about this stuff might actually be over-intellectualizing it, that maybe you should just come back, like you say, to raw simplicity. Show up as you are. Show up to your mat as you are. This is all you have right now. This is it. You know, this is the now. And I think then we come back to the abstraction of transcendence again. <laughs> because in that state of simplicity, it's beyond words. You know, it feels like, um, I think I was watching this uh, documentary, Fantastic Fungi, and someone had quoted Terence McKenna to say um, that language is synesthesia. And synesthesia is this uh, multi-sensory experience where you hear a color, for example, or you feel a smell. So, and we take language and how we're communicating out of context. It's gibberish. You know, yes. we're making a lot of assumptions as you and I are talking. You know, that when you say red, I understand some level of what red is. But we don't actually know what red actually is. When you talk about beauty, I'm assuming that it's the same beauty that I've experienced. And that's the only way in which language has context. <laughs> if not, we're just apes throwing sounds at each other, right? And um, Sometimes sounds are more authentic than words. Yes, I totally Sound agree. Sound is closer and to vibration. To know? truth. Yeah. yeah, to truth. And... I think that's uh, that's that's the power of the creative arts, you know, or anything that has to work with beauty. When we when we paint, it's hard to say that this painting is ugly. There's no way <laughs> the painting is unique. Um, and then, um, you know, if you if you think of sounds or songs, there's no such thing as you're not a singer. That's just your authentic voice, you know. And um, how I've learned in my vocal journey is shedding and peeling away the layers of what I think I should be allows my true voice to show up. And then that's to other people, it sounds great. <laughs> so maybe beauty is a recognition of authenticity, right? And so maybe we're more drawn to these things because there's something real about it. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe that's what the conversation these days or the discourse that we're trying to have around all of this authenticity and be your real self. Um, and what that means is just silence, maybe. Maybe that's why these days, a lot of us are craving silence. You know, there's nothing to be said because to put anything, any sound, any expression to it takes away from it. Right. And, and maybe that it is beautiful. <laughs> um, so my last mushroom journey actually yeah. asked of me to sit in silence for almost the entire journey. Like intuitively, I knew that that's an element that I hadn't really explored very much with mushrooms in the past year. Um, I've always had either like a soundtrack playing very, very, you know, curated music, very high frequency music, but I chose to be in ceremony with sound. And this ceremony was about silence. So they allowed me, they, the mushroom medicine, my guides, my higher self, said you know play three songs and then cut the music and 
sit in silence or lay in silence and just like feel and be. And, um, and it was challenging, but powerful, powerful, like talk about face your demons, talk about time travel. Sometimes all you need is an extended period of silence to time travel, to time jump. Yeah. Therefore to quantum leap as well and heal as well. I love it. I think um, the power of silence is so powerful. Um, you know, drawing from your experience with um, mushrooms, there is this uh, experience in Copangan, Thailand, where I live right now, and it's called inner walk. All you do is walk back and forth <laughs> across a, a plaza for four hours a day for four days a week. That's it. And during those four hours, you just walk. There's no other goal to it. The only thing that you have to do is be silent. And it's amazing to discover, like you said, what comes up, what bubbles from the surface. The, in the external silence of the self, there's the internal chaos and cacophony of, of, of noise, you know, and dis- distilling what is noise versus what is sound or music actually has an impact on the body. Um, has an impact on the state, how fast you walk, where you hold tension in your body, where it's painful. Um, resistances, like I really want to sleep right now. Why am I doing this? All of these things um, somehow bubble to the surface. And um, yeah, for those of us who may not have experienced inner walk, um, the only thing to do is walk the length of your living room, turn around and walk back. It's equivalent to like, you know, you're reading sometimes and you get to the end of the page and you didn't realize that you finished reading. So you get to reread the whole thing. So going back and forth the length of your living room, is equivalent to turning the page. It brings you back into the moment. Like, where did I go? Where did I go? You know, am I here in the now? Or like you said, did I quantum leap? Did I go back into the past? Did I go into the future? It's very, an interesting experience. And even if you just do this for about an hour, back and forth, I think you might discover something about the state of silence. And within that, I don't know, maybe the quality of transcendence. I personally did not know I was seeking that until after the fact. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and um, I also heard that it, you never walk the same way twice. So it's one of those elusive, impermanent experiences again that has a timeless quality to it. And maybe within that's the truth, you know, I've been talking so much about eternal truths here that I think in these moments, like what you're talking about in the mushroom ceremony, where you're just invited to, to stand still and maybe allow the convergences to all happen, right? Bring it right back to the deja vu, allowing all the convergences to happen in that moment of silence. We can somehow repair if there's any repair uh, that needs to be done about our past we can remodel we can uh, re-imprint we can rewrite um, we can redefine you know we can do a lot of uh, reconstruction and and then within that a lot of creation of as, as to what else we want the manifestations and the laws of manifestation we kick in after that and maybe as we go through these um Turmoils? <laughs> I don't know if turmoil is the right word, but let's just say these noises, right, within us when we're silent, that we actually are able to 
discern um, what state we, our soul essence, actually vibrate at. And then when we discover the vibration of ourselves and then we see, okay, actually, this is a state of love and the quality of love for me. And then maybe the law of attraction and the vibrational qualities of that, like set your vibration high so that you have, you meet other people at the same vibration frequency. Maybe that's what silence and all of these things are. You know, they bring us back to this thing of what's your resonance. And within that resonance, maybe that's how the law of attraction happens. Manifestation happens. We start walking our truth. And then when that starts happening, we feel like the red carpet's rolled out for us. We feel like, oh my gosh, life is so simple. All of a sudden, actually, it's always been, you know, we just didn't realize it. And so we just need to get out of our own way and allow beauty and magnificence and ease and all of these other stuff that we've been talking about to really just express ourselves, to express with us, you know, to not just express through us, but to express with us. And then that's, I think, where we start recognizing that um, we're transcending our ego. And maybe within that state of just expressing with us, we're living our authenticity, right? And then somehow, like, everything just makes sense. <laughs> I One day, if I truly experience that, I'll be very grateful. Right now, it sounds good. <laughs> I have an idea. Tell me. To close out the podcast... I would love to sit in a minute of silence with you here. Amazing. And it's going to be a minute of silence with everybody that's also listening to the podcast. So really the only thing you have to do is open your heart, know that we're all connected and transcend this time and space with us through a minute of silence. Yeah. Thank so, you for Take a breath, and then we're just going to sit together.
Thank you everybody for joining us. I hope that moment of silence um, was whatever it needed to be for you. And thank you, Callista. Beautiful, <laughs> transcendent time with you as always. Thank you so much for this. It was a real pleasure. It's always super fun to have these conversations. <laughs> Many blessings to Thailand and until the next one. Thank you. And thanks for listening. <laughs>